My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is leading with transparency, transparency, ethics, and radical candor. Our guest today is Spencer Williams. Spencer is the CEO and owner of Westpaw. A fifth-generation Montanan, Spencer Williams grew up on a working ranch in Columbus, Montana. Spencer attended Middlebury College in Vermont. After he graduated with a degree in German, he moved back to Montana, where in 1996, he purchased a small soft goods pet toy company in Livingston, Montana. Under Spencer's leadership, Westpaw went on to become a world-class manufacturer of eco-friendly and award-winning pet toys, beds, leashes, collars, and treats. Westpaw's pet products are sold in over 5,000 North American locations and in over 40 countries worldwide. In 2016, Forbes magazine named Westpaw one of the best small companies in America. Spencer is a founding board member and past chair of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. In 2013, Westpaw became the first pet product manufacturer to become a certified B Corp. And in 2015, Westpaw became Montana's first benefit corporation. Spencer lives in Bozeman with his wife, Kerry, and their two sons, a dog, a cat, and a chinchilla. Hopefully I've pronounced that correctly there, Spencer. So Spencer, right, welcome to William. the Workplace Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be with you, William. That's awesome. I, I've, I have to say, uh, when I met you first, I, I went to your world-class facility in Montana. And how I came across you, first of all, was through my twin brother. So you met, yes. apparently, and he just told me this, four years ago tomorrow yes at the global pet forum yeah we did. where you received a global award yeah that was pretty amazing we were in uh warsaw i believe at the at the forum and got to get acquainted there that was wonderful and it was great so he was telling me all about you so you won this award for your professionalism creativity and what was really good is it's because you were a force for that positive and uh, social change and environmental change. And for me, that's why, you know, I wanted to uh, bring you on to the podcast because when I walked around your facility, I was full of questions. I was competing, you uh, you know, for your attention against my brothers. And, you know, I just, the way I saw your leadership and management style was completely 
different, you know, it had, it, it was very much ethical, it was transparent, and it had that radical candor, very open and honest conversation. So that's why I'm inviting you into the, the podcast today. So you, can you tell me a little bit what that might look like, that, that you know, transparent uh, style of yours? Because when, when I remember, even your financials were up on the wall. Like everything yeah, was transparent. Right. So can you tell me a little bit more yeah. of how you're transparent with your employees? Well, I think it started very much at the beginning uh, of, of, of thinking about uh, how would you want to be treated as an employee? And, you know, when you step into those shoes, you start to think about things a little differently. And as a very small company, um, I was very close with my employees. You know, we had uh, we had to have lunch together on the table and um, the, the facility at that time was was really small. And so you, you just were intimate with people. And as opposed to creating a structure of hierarchy, I thought of uh, more a way to to sort of become more collegial with each other. And, uh, yeah, it's still professional, but um, I kept thinking, what would I want to know? as an employee and having been an employee before where not a lot of information was shared and I felt sometimes a little bit um, blindsided by a decision. Um, I took it upon myself to say, well, you know, if I was an employee, I would, I would want to know about decisions, good or bad. And I would want to know um, a little bit more about where the company was going. And so it was really started early on. I think the, the first, um, the first memory I have of, of sharing information uh, when I think it was 97, we'd been operating for about a year and we went to our first trade show. And I remember coming back and telling them how many customers we signed up, which was like eight or nine. I mean, it wasn't a lot, but it felt like a lot. And uh, telling them about, you know, what products sold the best and notice how excited people were to know that the, the product was doing well. And when you see that kind of transparency of just sharing um, and then people want to work a little harder or give some more ideas on how to improve, you start to just naturally build a culture of, of improvement. The, 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 I think that William, the, and I may have told you the story, the most pivotal decision um, at that time was in, in the summer of, of 98. We were two years old in the company, and I decided to move the business from Livingston, Montana, over a mountain pass um, pretty significant uh, mountains in Montana. It's a Bozeman where we now are. And I had to sit down with the employees and share this news. And, um, and uh, you know, as, 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 as is the case, um, a good colleague who's still here in the company, uh, we said, well, what are we going to do? Uh, how do we share this news? Uh, let's cook everybody breakfast. And so we got together with breakfast. And of course, people probably feared for the worst. And we shared, hey, we know a lot of you live within walking distance of our, of our facility now. Uh, we're moving to Bozeman. Here's the why. And uh, and here's also um, our strategy on, on where the location of the facility is so that all of you can continue to work for us. We want you to stay. And I think that was also one of those more pivotal decisions, William, where it would be easy to not have to explain yeah. a strategic decision like that. It would be easy just to do it in a cold company meeting or maybe a memo, but we did it over breakfast. You know, we did it with intentionality and, you know, I didn't have any coaching at the time. It was just the right thing to do. It was just being yeah. human, you know? And here's the thing is at that time, I think we probably had six or eight employees, maybe 10. I mean, it's not a lot. Um, two of those ladies still work in this factory today. Yeah. And, you know, those, the people believed that we were making the right decision for the business, that we were going to bring them along with those decisions as best as we possibly could. And so what I would say is this radical transparency. One, it started early, recognized we want to be in the shoes of our employees and what it felt like. And two, we'd share not just the good news, 
we share the difficult news as well. And we do it with a human approach. So that's a little bit how we got started with uh, transparency. And so, you know, you mentioned uh, seeing things like our financials on the wall. Um, that came many, many years later. Um, but like anything in life, I think it's a progression of, yeah. of, you know, you start with a certain core value and belief and you build upon that and you grow that. And then, and then you realize there's more education that's necessary and more financial literacy, and then continues to, to grow to, to the state we are now, which is sharing all of our financials with our employees every two weeks. Um, every employee gets to see where we're at for financial performance. And, and, um, and we have to back that up with a lot of training to make sure people uh, like myself understand how to read a financial statement, but it's not the easiest thing to understand. Right. So yeah. that's, that's kind of how we got to transparency. Um, yeah. And so, like, for yeah. me, like if you're a small business owner listening to this and there's that radical transparency going on, the first thing they're kind of fearing is like pushback. You know, mm-hmm. if I can walk yeah. to work and why do you, you know, why are you doing that? You know, like, can you talk me through that, you know, that the ethics behind that, you know, in terms of why did you feel the need to be, to adopt this approach? So I know it's the human need, but how would you, a lot of people would actually shy away from that. How did you yeah. deal with that fear mm-hmm. of pushback? Uh, there's there's always going to be pushback in life, right? Especially in, in, in business, there's, there's something we see. Um, and the question is, are you going to address it proactively and head on mm. or reactively and, and close our meetings? Um, my experience has been that there's going to be pushback in a business no matter which way you approach it. Um, so I think the question for me has been pretty easy to answer is I would like to get ahead of it. I'd like to be able to share an honest story of, of why we're doing something and then deal with the facts that are known. Because if you don't share the facts and the why behind something, yeah. of course, everybody's going to make up their own narrative, right? That's what yeah. we do as humans. So I, I, I think that um, uh, I'll give you an example of when you when you think of this from a radical point of view, and I mean radical in a, in a good way of like really pushing yourself to the boundaries and then mm. kind of finding your, finding your comfort zone after that. Um, when we started putting in... Uh, our financials. We knew that 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 would require all of our teams to start to share their numbers. And you know who actually was the most concerned about that transparency was our sales team. At that time, we had a leader and who was very concerned about sharing the the performance of the sales. And that leader felt that um, underperformance uh, would uh, show poorly upon them just because the numbers might be up or down, you know, in unpredictable ways. And, and what it started to reveal was actually some, some insecurities in that team and with yeah. that leadership. They did that surface right away. And sure enough, you know, we had to make a decision uh, because I was confronted by that leader and said, if you continue with this transparency around our revenues, our customers, um, we might lose some of our sales team because they, they, they'll feel um, too vulnerable. Yeah. And I asked, okay, what, where do they feel vulnerable? Well, if, what if they aren't doing good enough? Maybe you'd fire them. And I said, okay, now let's look back now. We're about 15-year-old company. How many times have we fired somebody because they made a mistake that was honest? You know? Well, I can't yeah. think of any. If you, if you think of one, let me know. But I don't think they have any fear of retribution if their numbers aren't good. We're going to help work together to figure it out, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 okay. But I still think you shouldn't share these numbers. William, what it came down to was those people didn't want to be held accountable. Okay, so the fears, the pushback was some insecurities around accountability and performance, all genuine. But when you can't hold a team 
any team accountable, then you have some dysfunction, right? And so I had to make the really hard decision of like, I'm going to keep pressing forward with our transparency. That's what we do in our business. And if you choose not to be a part of it, then you can find a career elsewhere. And that's very honorable and very respectable. Mm. And we'll find somebody else to take, take that role. And sure enough, the people who feared that transparency the most, they on their own opted out of the company, freeing up positions for us to hire even better, more aligned cultural fit. So yeah, to your point, addressing that, uh, that pushback early on, if you start to ask the questions and get curious, why, what, where's this coming from? Mm. You start to understand more about your team, your team dynamics, and probably some issues around like some upbringing, some personal histories, and maybe some accountability will come up that then yeah. you have to address head on as a business person. And I think you'd be better off for it. Yeah, so it's really about creating a sustainable business. And like I know we talk about the environment, sustainability, but what I remember from our conversation, I think it's two years ago now since I was mm. in your factory, right? right? But mm-hmm. at that, I remember clearly you saying that in terms of employee service, you have very little employee turnover. Am I right in hearing that? You're right in hearing that, yes. Yeah, and like for me, it's very easy to keep that culture then and look at the productivity gains you get from little turnover and then like even um where you're situated then is it hard to attract talent because i know it's 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 quite um dispersed montana like i know the economy there is is it's it's um in terms of that it's like the geographical area of Germany, you were saying like that, but the, you know, is, isn't that true? <laughs> yeah. So, so sorry. Uh, it's always about like my history in Germany. And so, uh, yeah. but you, you all, you know, can, can relate in part of Europe. Yeah. So the size of Germany, but with only a million people. And so yeah. um, it's very dispersed. And uh, Bozeman is a, is a big town, right? Bozeman's the biggest airport in Montana. Um, does a lot of commerce around the world. Bozeman's a town of 50,000 people. Yeah. Okay. So you get a scale of, uh, of, of what, we're, what you're talking about here. And yes, it, it is difficult to um, imagine attracting, you know, world-class talent. Uh, so I think the question is always, how do you, it, regardless whether you're in Dublin or, or Bozeman, it's, it's the question of like, do you, do you want to build your talent or do you want to only rely on attracting talent? And I think it's a mm. full band, right? And so here in Bozeman, it's, it's certainly for us a matter of, of building talent for sure. And when we talk about the culture and the opportunity of continuous improvement and education and development, then we start to get into how do we grow our staff? Um, how do we develop them? Because they're probably going to be here for a while. And coming back to just leadership and transparency, when people understand the business and they understand its ups and downs, its successes and its weaknesses, they're, they're, they're likely to be really sticky with the business because there's a lot of purpose, right? And, um, and one of the books I really uh, like is a few years old now is, is Drive by Daniel Pink. There's some really interesting research in, in that book. And he talks a lot about um, purpose as a, as a way to help engage people and really driving, but we know purpose actually helps keep people sticky. And so when you think about like keeping people in a company and leveraging their knowledge, whether that's customer knowledge, manufacturing knowledge, what have you, you want the right people to stay, right? Yeah. And the longer you can help them stay and grow, the more successful everybody will be. And that's the thing that's happening at the moment in the pandemic is there's, there's a huge risk of talent flight, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of when people aren't, you know, being held accountable, like, you know, and, and 
you know, narratives, you know, you're not getting ahead of the curve. So narratives then, you know, gossip is like wildfire and then it's the wrong narrative. And then that creates just tension and conflict and stress for everybody. Whereas you're right getting on. really ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, you know, you try to be, you know, say here's what's coming and communicate, communicate. And, um, and you have to communicate transparently, right. Um, that's mm-hmm. part of what you're focused on today. And I think with COVID and the, the, the coronavirus, we have tried to be very, very proactive with our communication. When it first happened, um, a series of video meetings and a series of written communications that I sent out early on in rapid succession, as we were learning more, it was, it was evolving very yeah. quickly. And then that, that changed to once a week on Fridays, I would send out an update. And then that changed to once every two weeks. And we still do that. Um, even if there's not much to talk about, it's just, a, Hey, we're still monitoring the situation. Here's how we're keeping our, our staff safe. And uh, we've also, I think really leaned in, um, to the fact that we are um, a manufacturer. We have the pleasure, William, of employing people who work with their hands, who build amazing products, who care Mm -hmm. for machinery, right? Who ship to our customers. We have an honor and a privilege as a manufacturer to ensure this workplace is safe, that people can come in and feel that they're gonna be taken care of and provided all the tools they need and all the safety precautions to keep them working. Our people have really, really appreciated that. Um, in, in early on in the lockdown and pandemic, people were staying home for fear of going to work, and I totally understand it. And now, you know, some months later, and the numbers are even worse. People feel very safe coming to work, and uh, boy, that that is super important to me. Is is that we have we have to show up for our employees to to demonstrate this is valuable work you do. We're going to make it safe for you, and we're going to do the right thing. And when you mentioned that, that safety piece, and we mentioned the transparency piece and the accountability, I'm, I'm looking at the, you know, your numbers at the back here. There's a number of boards around your factory. So there's some key performance indicators, some are sales, some are manufacturing, some are productivity targets, some are improvement processes. You work in a very agile nature as well. So anybody can can add to the board is not right in terms of adding an idea for innovation so you have that collective mindset through transparency through accountability so you know can you tell me a little bit more about the boards that you have placed around the factory like if people wanted to really get an insight because they're listening and they can't see what I'm seeing like if they were to if they were to get an insight into how you actually have that transparent and accountability process throughout your manufacturing facility you know can you describe what are the 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 key pieces as part of that sure i think it's it's um uh so we start off let me just go way back uh zoom out so let's get up to a, a higher elevation you know we start once a year creating a strategic plan and uh, we, we do that very intentionally. We use a, a, a one-page strategic plan, which is, is, is used around the world in different ways because uh, who wants to read a 40-page strategic manual and it sits yeah. in a desk drawer somewhere? And good luck getting anybody on the factory floor to have access to that, right? That's just yeah. not good. So we make it real simple, one page. Then the, then the plan is built out more by different teams, and different departments. So we start with that one-page plan. And so that's at every huddle board throughout the company is like that's our guiding playbook we call it and um and and we rely on a methodology used by um the they're the open book 
practitioning company called The Great Game of Business. It's a it's a it's a good book. It's a 25 year old book, but still very very uh, often used. The Great Game of Business teaches a a, a process called high involvement planning that yeah. lets everybody contribute into that playbook, and and so we leverage that um, system with our own tweaks uh, to make it Westpaw's unique way. And it, you know, so what I want to say is, you start off at, at these. Uh, huddle boards around the company and they they have the playbooks we all know we're going after and those are company goals but what i want to get to is from there those boards now need to get down to goals that matter for the staff in that team so you know yeah uh let's say we have an hr goal of certain yeah. number of hires in a certain quarter well that may not be as important to shipping shipping might, might want to know how many dollars they're getting out per shift or how many um uh dollars they're getting out per month. Um, they want to know numbers that are in their realm of influence. And so we break that board down with the company goals all the way down to goals that are um, affecting that that team can affect. And we have room to improve here. But what I would love to see is those boards, not only um, consistently about numbers that the team can affect, but they're actually leading indicators. If we can get all those leading indicators, then the team can really start to act quickly on the on the agile front of being able to change and, and adapt quickly. And then they can self-report the numbers onto their own board. We're doing that most places, but we can do even better. So it's a matter of continuously improving. And so the team with those boards comes up with ideas that can make those boards even better, right? Every day, every week. So when you go through the factory and go through the facility, you would see a, a scoreboard in sales. You would see a scoreboard, right? In in HR, you'd see a scoreboard now uh, out in shipping, as I mentioned, or in injection molding or in the cut. So they would all have their boards. And for the frontline staff, it's important if you're really transactional, like uh, like customer service, you're going to be at the board like every day. Um, if you're if you're less transactional, say marketing, you're going to be at the board once a week. But shipping or manufacturing between each shift, every handoff is at the board. So we have a place for ideas, we have a place for issues, and what we like to celebrate is good boards have lots of good issues, right? And and if you think about that, William, it's like. You know, nobody wants to talk about the stuff that's not working, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if we celebrate that, if we find the stuff that's not working and get it out of our life, it's going to be even better. So we talk about let's let's have robust issues, let's work on those issues and resolve them. And then, of course, we try to end every meeting with celebrations. Uh, what are the celebrations? You know, do we address address an issue from yesterday? Uh, do we beat some numbers today? Is it somebody's birthday? What's going on that we can celebrate? And that, and that wraps up the huddle. And so every team will do that um, throughout the company. So is there is there little you know um, what's the best way to to put this? Do you have kind of little formulas that you have in terms of okay we start the meeting with you know this is there little kind of those celebrations you talked about what like a might a, a typical meeting look like then how do we open up or what are the kind mm-hmm. of key things like do you follow a set agenda or. You know, what are the little yeah. things about the culture that would that really makes Westpaw stand out? I think I think you're you, you you touched on it. I think for a stand up huddle, you've got to have a have an agenda that you can go through pretty quickly. Um, and uh, and what we want is the the agenda is uh, tuned for each team, and it does it addresses um, the numbers of the day, um, and it goes into how those numbers are, what key projects are addressing. Uh, improvements in the company and then it goes into what are the issues 
and yeah. then wrapping up with celebrations. In general, that's kind of a format. And um, and what's really nice is for each team to kind of have their own flavor, uh, you know, because each team's got a little bit of its own culture. You want to kind of celebrate that, right? And 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 you want those huddles to be where everybody can contribute. It's not if if Spencer was standing up at every huddle, nobody's going to talk about it, right? You want people to be able to feel free to talk. So so the huddle is the team's huddle. Like leadership isn't always there. Uh, we want to be there occasionally, but you want that team to own their own huddle. And, uh, and, and you want it to be a little bit light. Uh, it can't be too, too heavy, right? Even in peak season or if you're behind schedule, it's like, how do you lighten it up a little bit and keep the ideas flowing? And then I think you're right. Is, you know, always ending with some gratitude is, is just really helpful. And those celebrations help to bring that uh, to the fore. And, you know, people, people will wait sometimes like, you know, dark day, you know, you had a bad day and something went wrong. What's a celebration, right? It's crickets crickets yeah did anybody have anything good oh yeah so-and-so brought in cookies oh hey good thanks that was great okay we'll wrap her up there you always got something to celebrate right so it's funny i was telling you i was just off off a phone call right before the podcast here okay Uh and it's actually Uh that exact person that i was talking to two years ago when i came home from montana right from bozeman Uh and it's funny as you talk about the (laughs) synchronicity of it all and I was I was talking to this business person, a successful business person, right, about how you operated. And I started talking about the financials and the transparency and, you know, some leading indicators like, you know, I think you have very low people who were absent and your health and safety numbers were quite high. And then, you know, so it was all these benefits. And then I started talking about the financials. And then I, he was saying, well, well, people not take advantage uh, of that. So we'll say, for example, if I'm going through, you know, uh, a really difficult financial time in my personal life, mm-hmm. you know, would I not see the problem go, hey, well, you know, why can't I get a raise? You know, so because I brought this up when we talked about it, you know, so can you give me an example? Because we talked about financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example where that actually happened? Yeah, sure. You know, I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I've, I've heard feedback from my own father. Uh, you know, he worked in, in business as well. It's like, this is, the, you can't be sharing these numbers. I mean, maybe when you're a small company, but you start, you know, making hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars of profit, uh, people are going to take advantage. You can't, you can't share this. I think that's, I think that's good advice, but I, I disagree with it. Um, you know, if you've, if you've attracted your, uh, to if you've attracted the the team members you want to play this game of business with and you trust them and you give them trust you don't withhold that you give it freely you'll be more surprised uh in the positive than in the negative has been my experience you'll be consistently rewarded with trust back and um and when somebody doesn't uh give you uh their best it's business and it's time to say thank you. And we're going to free you up to our best competitor. And you can hire that person who's disingenuous or dishonest uh, because you don't want them in your company, right? Give them to your competitor, give them to the person down the road. Um, They don't have to hold on to people who don't, don't share your values of trust. So um, what I feel about your, your, your question of if you were to share about all this profitability, everybody's going to want a wage increase, right? Everybody's going to want a, a bigger bonus. And, um, and we've had those conversations. Uh, generally speaking, when you get into that conversation, you come back to the financials. Um, let's say somebody says, okay, you know, I'd, I'd like a 20% raise because I see we're growing profits 
that in this conversation, these conversations have happened, William. Okay, so you want a 20% raise. Now, we, we appreciate your work and you're doing a great job, first of all. Reason we can't give you twenty percent raise is is we, we know that that's one above the market for the work that you're doing. Okay, mm-hmm. so we've got some data and some market data to say that, that that's above the market, um, and 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 we want to be at or better than the market in our compensation. So so that's one data point. We just don't see the the, the need right now. As much as we like you, as much as we like the work, and here's the other thing. Do you remember how we we're saying we're going to grow profits twenty percent? Do you remember next year what we got to use all those profits for? What was in the plan? Oh. That's right. I was in that. I was in that uh, meeting about our strategic plan. Oh, yeah. We were going to buy all that new equipment, or we we're going to invest in that new product line, uh, that new innovation. Yeah. So when you teach financial literacy, William, and you're saying we're going to need those profits that'll turn into cash that'll help us invest in the future growth of the business. It's not free money today. It continues to propagate a sustainable business. And now you see how the foundation is laid. We've invited somebody to strategic planning. They know where multiple your plan are. They know about the new product lines. They know about the new innovation. They know how expensive those are. We've talked about those numbers. Now they also know about financial literacy. And they know that cash isn't what you see when you see a profit number. It doesn't just appear. They know, maybe not perfectly, right? We're all learning still, yeah. that that cash is going to convert over time and be needed to pay for the equipment later. So if I just give everybody a 20% increase now, I have no cash left to invest in the new product line. Okay. So you, you, you build these layers of knowledge and then you come back to the trust and say, you know, as much as I like you and I really want you to stay with us, that's why I can't give you and everybody else who wants a 20% increase the, the request you're asking for. It wouldn't be good business. Now, if you want to find another employer who, who can pay you that, I would gladly write you a strong recommendation because you've done great work here. Okay. Now that's how I'd handle that conversation. Now, if you have somebody who comes in and saying, I want a 20% increase and they're not doing a really good job, then it's a little bit different conversation. You can say, well, you know, Hey, you know, you're, you're kind of right at the cap. And if you think there's a better opportunity, let me help you, you know, move on and build your career. Cause that'll be better for both of us. Yeah. Right? And you make them free to industry as quickly as you can. So, yeah. um, so it isn't, it isn't without conflict and it isn't without challenge, but when we lay the foundations of everybody who knows the longer range plan, they don't know it intimately. You have to remind them. And, and they also know the financial literacy. Then it, it makes the conversation why you can't do a 20% increase really tangible. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so everybody wants to raise their compensation. Everybody wants to do better. Um, but I think that the the grounding of those conversations has helped us through. And I would also say, William, like we don't see theft, right? Um, I know that in most businesses, theft isn't seen, right? So I'm not saying that we've got eyes everywhere. But we 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 know that with all these reporting numbers, everybody sees the numbers. And it's very hard to imagine stealing something when everybody sees the numbers and cares about the business. So again, transparency protects, Right. And engagement reinforces this. We're all in this together. So I don't want to take from the company because I'm taking from my my colleagues. So um, I, I hope I've addressed your question. It's a great question. Yeah. And it's that organization, organizational citizenship then is because, mm-hmm. well, this is the way we behave around here. So because it's, it's not, you're not waiting for management to hold you accountable. It's kind of every, every member of the organization then is holding you accountable to certain ethics or certain standards or a way of doing things. 
Mm-hmm. You are right. And, and I think it's really important for those teams who are all to collectively holding accountability, but it's really incumbent upon management leadership. If there's somebody who just cannot be trusted, mm. you have to ask yourself the courageous question of, if that person can't be trusted with whatever it is, are they doing more harm than good in the company? Well, then you have the argument, William, well, you so-and-so is such a technical expert. They, they really know the formulation. They know the machinery. They know the customer. We can't let them go. I think it has to be a very courageous conversation around, wait a minute. So I'm, I'm protecting one role for one person who we can't trust, who's technically very strong. And I'm foregoing all the transparency and all the optimization for everybody else in the organization because of one person who I probably don't even like. Does that make sense? Is that the way you want to live your life? And I say, no. All right. You got to weed out the people who don't fit your values, don't fit your culture, don't live into the vision of what your business can do for your people, for yourself and for, for the community. Get them out, free them up, give them to your best competitor. Right. And seriously, it's courageous and it's hard. We've all done it. So I'm a mediator, right? You know, yeah. and a lot of, a lot of my work is, <laughs> is conflict, right? So, you know, when I'm hearing this, I'm going to go, well, how might this translate to other organizations? And am I thinking that, is it that you have the courageous conversations all the time or does everybody engage and it's a bit of a free for all, but they, they're able to have a courageous conversation through that value-based mindset. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, that's what you're hearing, William. And I will quickly answer also to say that we are not perfect. We do yeah. not do this all well, right? This is yeah. this is work in practice, right? So I am I'm nearly 25 years in this business, and I am growing and learning and challenging myself to do differently this fall than I yeah. did last year. I, I the courageous conversations. I tend to be a very uh, relationship-focused person. Um, I'm not particularly extroverted. And, and so I'm, I'm, I tend to be really focused on how to help somebody feel good about themselves. And the courageous conversations are difficult. They're hard for me, man. They, they, they break my heart sometimes. But if, if I can do that in a compassionate, grounded, factual way, then I know I'm doing the right thing for them in the business. So in, at Westpaw, I would say that we identified just a couple of weeks ago in one of our management huddles, or sorry, production huddles, that um, having the courageous conversation around a request and timelines that needed to happen just so for a product launch that's a little bit off track was challenging to a couple of members of those teams. They were not willing to confront somebody who, who can be a little bit, uh, let's just say a little bit bristly if it's in their department, does good work and is, and you can get them on the right page, but they were a little nervous about going to that individual. And it was, it was because they weren't comfortable yet making that courageous conversation, that request of what they needed to make the launch effective. And so even here, um, in, in all layers, uh, that courageous uh, conversation is something that we can all do better at. And it's really important for us to empower our frontline staff um, to also manage upwards, they often say, right? Have that courageous conversation of like, this is why I couldn't get this production run proper, properly is I didn't have the right tools. Could you make sure that I have the right tools, technology, whatever, next time I run this part so that we can do better? That's a courageous conversation with the supervisor, Right. Uh, pushing back and saying, hey, you want me to create better numbers? Give me the right tools. Those things, we're getting better all the time, William, but that's a never-ending quest. So I would say, yes, some of us at the 
at the management leadership level had a little more practice with those courageous conversations, but not everybody. And sometimes the most courageous conversations are right from the people on the floor. I love that. Yeah. That's great yeah. to hear that you're you're open to that and you're welcoming of that. And this is where it kind of brings me to, you know, if I was, you know, a new employee, right? Uh, you know, whether I'm on the factory floor or hopefully you'd hire me a bit higher than that, um, in terms of my <laughs> qualifications, um, Spencer, you might you might you might do me that favor. <laughs> But but what could I expect, you know, is is like, do you have an induction? Do you have shared values that you revisit from time to time? And, you know, in terms of ethics, how would I know what are the norms and behaviors or a bit like the, the rituals of the huddles that we're talking about? You know, is it, do you have something form, formal or is it just kind of like informal where everybody kind of um, educates the, the newbie, if you want to call it that? It's it's a mix of formal and informal, right? I think the informal is 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 uh, really powerful because the culture and the people around that new hire is is giving them that feedback all the time, um, giving them those insights all the time. And again, that there's some real benefit there, right? If 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 it's Spencer, the CEO and owner, telling telling you, William, how you're going to feel the new company, it's kind of the company pitch, right? I mean, he's the CEO and owner, and that's his point of view. But you start hearing from your colleagues. Uh, of a similar story, uh, similar points of view, uh, that has a lot more value, I think, than just the top down, right? So it's a mix of um, uh, being just in the day and sort of uh, with colleagues and talking and hearing, uh, break room conversations, right? Water cooler, coffee, all that. And then it's 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 certainly some structure. And so one of the leverages we have is our uh, financial literacy and our, our uh, meetings, they occur every two weeks. So we get FaceTime with nearly all of our staff uh, every two weeks. So that gives them a chance to see me and other leadership. It gives us a chance to talk about our culture and our values and what works and what doesn't work and why those decisions were made. And then of course, daily, they're getting that from all those people around them. So um, we do have the opportunity for for a lot of FaceTime, whether it's literally visual uh, on, on a computer screen or or in person nowadays, uh, it's, it's a blend. Um, but I would say that we've also identified opportunity to do even better here. Um, so we, we haven't always when we've been particularly busy in our peak season done a uh, an intentional onboarding um, company values and culture are shared through some initial onboarding with hr but they don't get a, a a real warm welcome particularly when we're quite busy like this fall and yeah. we identified that when we came into the the, the holidays hey we kind of made a miss here the, the the new folks we've hired and we we ended up with a net increase of 18 people in the fall um and they they didn't really get uh a warm welcome, uh, a personal welcome. It's hard with COVID, and but yet that's no excuse. And uh, and we identified that hey, in January we're going to bring everybody into some sessions um, and and make sure they have a warm welcome. And so we had a miss this fall, and that's okay. Uh, we are going to do better this spring, and we're going to keep those rituals and conversations of history and values and goals going with our new folks on a more regular basis in 2021 than we did in 2020, even with an accelerated hiring plan. And so again, I just come back to, we're not perfect. Like any organization, we recognize when we make a mistake and we like, oh, let's move on. Let's do that better. And for me, this, from what I um, gleaned from our conversations was, was educating people and creating that learning environment was really important to you. Can you yeah. tell me ways that you've ed educated people? Or any, well, you know, whether it be training and development or coaching or whatever. 
Yeah. And, and I love, I love the, the, the training and development part. I mean, I'd love to think that when people leave Westpaw someday, they would say that that was a company that continued to encourage us to learn and grow as a company and as individuals. That would be awesome. That'd be quite a compliment because I think all of us have to keep learning in life. And, um, and so if we think of ourselves as a learning and growing company, um, you know, that we want to educate at all levels. And so we use some of those every two week meetings to talk about our customers as well, right? We're, we're mostly manufacturers. So most of our staff are, are thinking inside the building and what we do here. But when we sh- can share about why we sell to X, Y, and Z company or why we sell um, or why we don't sell to X, Y, and Z company, um, what products are doing really, really well, we want to educate them on what our products are doing in the marketplace um, because it helps them have that connection outside the building. So we, we, we would l- encourage anybody to educate deeply on their customers, the market and their competitors. Right. And then internally in the company, we want to educate on, on what are the rules of the business that we run? Like what makes sense? Um, that might be a rule around seasonality. We're really busy in the fall season, right? Um, uh, people may not assume that. They might come to September and go, why is it so darn busy around here? We want to let people know w- how the business functions throughout the year so they, they get a perspective. We want them to understand how we make money, what's, what defines winning. And if we can do that really, really well, then our, our employees uh, get up to speed, get uh, matriculated quicker into the company. And so I do, I think that those that are general, just about the business should happen ongoing. Now, professional development and training, um, you know, we we do have a a curriculum here that we work on leadership 101 and what we call leadership 201 and uh, to teach on emotional intelligence, um, to teach on making requests and asks and negotiating um, those asks. Um, Those are, uh, fundamental. We teach, we teach on resilience. I was so glad we had a really good resilience training um, about a year ago, not realizing COVID was coming and really talked about how people can help with resilience in, in their own personal life. These things that just touch on all these trainings, whether it's emotional intelligence, conflict resolution, right? Uh, resilience. These are really important in a business. They're incredibly important in personal life. And so when people are well at home, they're going to be more likely to do well at work. When they're doing well at work, right, they're probably more likely to do well at home. And so these things are not, uh, it's not the old fashioned thinking of like, it's just the work day, yeah. come in, hit the clock, forget your work life. No, my wife, my kids could text me during the day, good news, bad news. You, that's the reality. Of the, they're, they're mixed. And so yeah. when we do professional development education, William, we, we really think, Gosh, we're going to benefit somebody at home. We're going to benefit them here professionally at work. And, and that's a win-win. So those things are going to be ongoing for us. And it's great that you have that symbiotic nature. And, you know, it shows that you really value for your employees' well-being, which is, which is great. And I'm still going back to the transparency piece because mm-hmm. some people go, well, what are your boundaries over transparency? Because I know when you met my brother um, in yeah. Warsaw and you invited us then into your facility in Montana and Bozeman. And I, by the way, a big shout out to the people in Bozeman. You were so welcome <laughs> of me. Uh, I have to put that in. But, nice. but, but in terms of that, like, do you have boundaries over transparency then? Because you were saying you're more introversion in nature, all right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might be comfortable in, in the limelight. You know, so for me, I'm kind of going, okay, 
is there tra- you know is there boundaries that you have there do you, do you have boundaries with competitors because I know you're pretty open with my brother as well so I'm trying to yeah. trying to figure out you know what what are the boundaries there no I think that's absolutely true and I think our, our staff again because they are so committed I mean that's uh across the board people care for each other in the company that I'm not I'm not like a hawk wondering what information is getting out um, but uh, the, the, the my my impression is again our, our staff are making great choices about what they share so for instance if and it has happened where we've had a competitor come through town and say hey you know love to meet up for for coffee or, or lunch you know and uh, we're in the neighborhood you know the the, the staff isn't going to automatically offer them an entire tour of the facility right that's just not something they're going to do there's there's a natural boundary there and uh, as a smaller company i think we can trust that our employees are going to do that well we've never had to make it explicit uh, because again we're trusting our employees to make good decisions all day long and uh, and so a, comp- a competitor comes in and they might come into a conference room have a cup of coffee have a nice conversation and you know we might not have this board behind them that's behind me right now um, yeah. and you you think about those things you have to protect the business um but like your brother is is in the same industry. I don't think anything uh, he saw here was fundamentally going to change the way in which he would run his non-competitive business in the same industry. Uh, a lot of trust for uh, confidentiality. If there was anything that was shared, that wouldn't be shared. Um, it just comes back to this value of, you know, and it's how you build teams is about trust. Uh, Patrick Lencioni's books focused a lot on trust. Um, it's, it's a great topic in our personal lives and at work. So uh, yeah, we, 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 we don't. And then, um, you know, when, when press come in, uh, there are certain things that we won't show them. Uh, certain areas we don't allow photography. Uh, those are natural ways in which we protect. We have never in our history yet had any employee who's been educated on our business and our strategies take that information or our financials and share it with anybody. It would be against the law for them to do so, uh, furthermore. Um, but the, the, again, we've never had to enforce that law. We wouldn't want to. We just want to trust people that they would make the right decision. But we're going to always protect the company, right? Uh, and our employees will do the same. And in, in terms of this style of leadership, that radical candor, you know, high ethics and transparency, then you know, if people were listening in, what are the kind of baby steps, you know, they could take to start building this? Because you said earlier on that you didn't quite do it straight away. So what are the things you might do at the start there to, I suppose, start adopting this leadership style? William, I'll answer that question. May I go back to the first uh, question a moment ago, because I did want to clarify one one yeah. point. We don't share personal information. All right. So, uh, okay. Uh, you were asking about like, what's the, what's the level of transparency? I don't feel like, feel like I fully answered it. But, so yeah. like if, if somebody's compensation, when William's hired at Westpaw, nobody's going to talk about William's compensation. That's your private personal information. Right. Okay. And similarly, like um, uh, with COVID, uh, you know, it's, it, it's protected by law that we can't talk about somebody's health. Well, yeah. if so-and-so comes to me and says, Hey, I got a positive COVID, I need to quarantine. We're going to get them to quarantine right away. Yeah. And everybody's going to kind of assume that that person's not in the office. We had a, this is an interesting thing about an open book and open transparent company is there can be a sense of entitlement to information. Okay. Internally. And mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of open book and transparent companies have to be thoughtful in working against w- with COVID. It's really illuminated. So-and-so has gone 
and I'm now feeling frustrated that I don't know the story in my team. And yeah. therefore, is it worse than I think, right? We, people yeah. tend to go to the worst. And so management should be more proactive in telling who's got COVID and who's not. Hey, folks, one, let's remember, we cannot talk about somebody's personal health. Yeah. That's against the law and it's against our personal values. Two is if there was risk, we would always do the right thing and keep you safe. So can you trust that we're doing the right thing? And those of you who are still in that team are safe to be here. Is that okay? Yes. Can we now move on? And when you have this question, come right to me next time before we have a, a you know backyard conversation, right? And so that uh, desire for uh, too much information can be accidentally overstepped by staff inside because they're so used to knowing almost everything. Yeah. Okay. So I hope I've addressed that you, in a business that is radically transparent, you have to decide where your lines are yeah. in, in accordance with the law and in accordance with your own values and make sure that if that's pushed by staff, you just have a conversation about why, why that line is reset. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's about that clarity in terms of, okay, we're transparent in, you know, financials, in sales, in perf- all the performance targets, productivity, but in terms of, you know, like legal requirements and just good values, then here's where we won't be. So it's having that That's clarity and, and knowing the boundaries. Excellent. So then going back Excellent. to my question about baby steps, if you were <laughs> yeah. to adopt yeah. this leadership style, then in terms of ethic, ethical and radical and transparent, then what advice would you give to people listening in? Yes, I, I, would, I would spend some time reading about open book management. Open book management is a broad concept. Uh, it's been around for uh, really generations, right? But but it's I think really gotten a start in the in the '80s, and it's a it's a matter of how do you put the uh, p- the meeting rhythms in place and um, the financial literacy if you go that far. And uh, one of the best places I think um, to go to is uh, the Great Game of Business, um, and uh, that book and that uh, organization. Um, is solely focused on how companies can thrive in um, an open book environment. I think that's just a great place to get started. And I think that'll lead to many other trails. Um, but I would, I would definitely spend some time talking about it um, internally and then listen to kind of what feedback it is. And, and uh, when I think about it internally, I would start, I would start really small. I would start engaging the, the uh, well, let me, let me back up. I would, I would probably start with, if, if a company leader knows that this is the direction the company's going to go in, it's important to make a declaration of a change. Um, you know, going forward, starting next quarter, we want to share more with our employees about how our new products are selling so that you understand the future success of the company because that's betting on some new products. Okay, so starting next quarter, we're going to do that. Is everybody okay with that? Yeah. And so those sort of declarations will help people know, hey, the, the leadership is operating a little differently. I'm kind of kind of check this out and see what's going on. And I would start with a part of the company that you want to share information on. Uh, could be around COVID. We're in a pandemic still. It's going to be around for a little while longer, we know. Yeah. And so this could be a, a time to start trying on some, some transparency. But it's a part of the business that you want to share about. And that's the place to get started. It's not the whole business. Um, so you might start, again, revenues, new products, what have you. That's good to know. Then you might start with some, some production or service targets and you start sharing more information there. And each time is a thoughtful progression. But I would say um, when a company gets to the place where they're starting to really um, share more about uh, financials 
and then also starting to get employees involved in strategic planning uh, throughout the whole organization, it's good to get a coach or somebody who's been down that road to help uh, navigate that. Um, and 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 I think th- those are those are obvious steps. But there's a lot of people out there who've done this kind of work. But I would say to your point, William, it's it's small steps. It's strategic of what you want to do by when. And I think when we started going from just high level sales numbers to full transparency of our financials, it was a, about an 18 month process to two okay. years. It, it was not overnight at all. And we'd been practicing sales numbers and big decisions for the company for already 15 years by then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And is, is there any kind of pain points where you say, listen, you definitely should avoid the mistakes I've made. Is there anything like that, that, you know, people, there's some learnings that you have to say, listen, you know, these are, these are kind of key learnings for me that cause a lot of pain mm-hmm. that makes, you know, you might skip over. It's, it's uh, the most simple one I can say is don't wait until it's a crisis. Yeah. That's the biggest pain point I suffered. Like to go to the financial literacy piece, it took a crisis in the business. And I explained this to you that, uh, it was the year of 2012 and we were radically growing and we were also burning through cash and people didn't understand because they, they hadn't gotten access to the financials yet. And I had people in the company at that time who were so concerned about sharing the financials that delayed that. And I believe that the, it took that crisis. And what I've learned from other open book companies is that it's often a crisis that brings people to, to open book management. And so I would yeah. just say, don't wait for the crisis. And yeah. also on the flip side, don't wait because everything's going really well. Let's say you're in a business that's thriving in, the, in, in these times and think, ah, we'll do it. We'll do it later when we have more time. I'd say, man, if you've got, if things are really cru- cru- cruising right along right now, it's maybe time to get a coach and, and try to figure out how to do it when things are good so that you can sustain that good success for longer. So it just avoid the human nature of waiting for a crisis or saying, I'll do it tomorrow. Um, those that be my advice. And then when you get into it, um, just be really curious about the feedback and the resistance you're getting so that you can understand what the root cause of that is. So it's, it's a bit like that, that old adage, you know, don't let a good crisis go to waste. That's exactly right. And that's, I believe that hundred percent, man. <laughs> so true in business and in life yeah isn't it true yeah. you know that's where we get our greatest learnings is is from those mistakes or those pains isn't it that's how we you know we, we change our habits or we we change yeah. our approach isn't it yes and those who do change the habits and change the approach they're the ones whose businesses thrive there's the, those individuals whose careers grow because they've chosen to change and it's work it's powerful and it's work it's hard work it's not <laughs> it is yeah. but it does you, you know there's a payoff there is a payoff there is a payoff so sure. i'm we're getting to nearly the end of our time here so i'm just going to invite you into is there any kind of key takeaways that you mm-hmm. we'd like to to finish the podcast on I, I think we've talked about like you know the the the, the work life and the professional life they're they're very intertwined and and so i would just challenge anybody listening and, and i challenge myself this all the time is is how do we want that work life to be? And if we take a path that's a little bit less proven, right, a little bit different path um, that lines up really well with how we want to live and, and with whom we want to spend our work days and with whom we want to celebrate the successes at work and the failures at work, right, the struggle through those failures together, we're going to approach work differently. And, and so I would say that there's, there's one life, there's one chance 
we get to choose our team. We get to choose how we play the game of business. That my key takeaway is don't wait. Like think about what you want your work life to be like. And it ought to, in many ways, reflect and mirror what your personal life should be like. And, and that probably has a lot more candor in it. It probably has a lot more transparency and it probably has a lot more joy and satisfaction in it. So I would lean into um, this opportunity to think of, of how transparency and, and candor and, and really just acting with everything you have in integrity could, could lead to fundamental changes in all size organizations. And uh, that could help your personal life and it could help your career. And think of the impact you can have on people throughout that organization. That impact spreads way beyond a strategic decision to be more transparent and more accountable. Yeah, and, and that's the whole notion when you got the award, you know, in, in Warsaw there is because you're making that positive social and environmental uh, impact there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I really want to thank you for that because it's not often you get the opportunity to speak to a CEO in such an honest and transparent way, you know. So uh, thank you so much uh, for no, that, yeah. Spencer. And thank you for coming on to the, the Workplace podcast. And I do have to do a quick shout out to my cousin, Lilia. Yes. Um, there, all right. So if you <laughs> do bump into her there, uh, say say hello from me, all right, in a socially distance way, obviously. All right. And yeah. if people were then to look up your products or find more uh, information about your company, how might they do so? Yeah, so uh, they certainly would welcome them at uh, westpaw.com. Um, and at westpaw.com, for those who, folks who are listening from over uh, in Europe, there's a listing of distributors, and uh, we can uh, email a distributor to find a local store in your area. If you're listening in North America, we have uh, it by postal code where you can find retailers throughout the United States and Canada. Um, so, yeah, we'd love to have people check it out and um, and see some of the things we're doing. And, and I'll just end by saying, William, I'm just so grateful to talk with you. I always learn something about how we should do better and improve and what we should celebrate here as, as, as we have these conversations is really, really helpful to me. And thank you for taking the time and your interest in Westpaw. Yeah. And listen, you know, this podcast is all about making a difference in people's lives. And that's why I was so inspired by listening to you. I was actually in awe of you when I was walking around your facility. I was like, this is amazing. You know, I wish I could spend more time with you. And now I have. So thank you very much for that, Spencer. And uh, I wish you and your family uh, well. Okay. Thank you very much. Say hi to your brothers when you see them. And uh, really appreciate this time, William, and your good work in the world. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a million for coming on to the Workplace Podcast. Cheers. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corliss, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.com yellowwood.ie yellowwood your external learning and development partner provider executive coaching facilitation and training take a different path to success with your career leadership team and organization